0: We're going to be today in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. This is the, well, let me read it to you, and then I'll tell you where we're going with this. We're actually going to move all the way through chapter 3 into chapter 4. Now, don't groan, okay? It's going to be all right. We're going to move through it. But here's the beginning. Um, Chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, though the bush was engulfed in flames that didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Let's pray. God, we pray that as we look at the life of Moses and as we look at his many doubts and worries about being called by you, that you would speak to our hearts, to our own doubts and worries, and calm them so that we may say, yes, amen. So um, we're going to start a new series now about what happens when you say no. And I thought about this because a lot of times... Most of the preaching that you're going to hear in your life is going to encourage you about saying yes, Um, about how lives change when you say yes, that is true, about how the world becomes a better place when you say yes. But I got to thinking about this when I had children. Do you know what one of the first words out of my little baby's mouth was? Both of them. No. No. Yes, they, they very early on learn how to express, I'm not doing that, I don't want to do that. I'm not sure if it was the first word Anna spoke. Kevin thinks it was da, but I kind of think her first true word was the word no. And Leah actually put it to the most use when she was three years old. Anyone ever had a three-year-old? okay they are ornery and they they're contentious and so whatever it is that you're saying even if it's like hey you want to go get some ice cream they'll be like no i mean they just say no just to test out the power of refusing and leah was very good at it leah let's brush your hair no let's brush your teeth no let's time to eat breakfast i know you're hungry no and she would plant her feet like this and cross those pudgy little three-year-old arms and Cock her head like this, pull her eyebrows together, stick her lip out, right? And I thought, we don't need to be taught how to say no. It's like in our nature to want to refuse. I mean, who, I challenge you, has had a baby that the first word out of their mouth was yes, right? Absolutely, right? So when it gets to God, we tend to cross our arms and glower at him and say no, just like we do with our parents when we're growing up. Sometimes we, you know, finesse it a little bit. We just, we say no by ducking our heads and, hmm, like, I don't know if y'all have ever noticed this, but if I'm ever anywhere and I say, who would like to pray? You know what you do. I need to bend down and check something down here on the ground. I mean, it's like this immediate... I'm not going to do that. Not me. Or maybe somebody else here will volunteer for that. We tend to look to our sides. We tend to look down. But we tend to not make eye contact. That's another thing. I'll just tell you this little story. I grew up in San Antonio. Um, There were mariachis, mariachi bands. I remember in restaurants, when we rarely got to go to a restaurant, we'd be with my dad. There's the mariachis. And my dad would be like, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. So here's these guys with sequins and, you know, buttons and glittery and they're playing music and his kids were like, don't look, don't look. And I think a lot of times we do that with God. Don't make eye contact with God. If you don't make the eye contact, maybe he won't know you're there. Right? So here's the call of Moses. We tend to assume that most people in the Bible were yes men and yes women, right? God calls and they're like, yes! Let's go. Absolutely, I'm off. I mean, they were the babies who learned yes first. But if you look at the Bible and read it, you'll realize that for as many yeses as there are, there are lots of no's in there too. Like the disciples, Jesus calls them, right? They throw the nets over the side of the boat. They run and follow him. That's an awesome yes. But we get later on in their lives and they're like, but what? You want us to do what? No, you're not going to die. No, you know, so they're running away. Um, we see the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. He thinks he's got it all figured out. He thinks he's done it all, so he's going to get like the attaboy on the back. What do I need to do to be saved? Jesus tells him. He's like, check, 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 got it. Hey, anything else? Well, Jesus says, since you asked, what would make your life complete is to sell everything you have and follow me. What does he say? No, I can't do that. That's too much. I thought I had it all down. I thought I could say yes to everything. I can't say yes to that. For every Isaiah who says, here I am, send me, there's a Jeremiah giving God a list of excuses about why he's too young, too inexperienced, can't do it. Moses, leader of the faith, Charlton Heston played him in the movies, got off to a rocky start with God, y'all. This is the first part, God says, Moses, Moses, that he's basically having to say, is that your name, right? Moses, yes, that's my name. And after that, it goes down from there, okay? So Moses says, yes, here I am. That's me. I am Moses. And then God says to him, starting in verse five, I'm about to do something new. Look at what he says. I am the God of your father. Moses didn't know his father. He had grown up in Pharaoh's house because all the babies, the Hebrew babies were getting killed and his mother floated him down the river when he was just a baby. And Pharaoh's daughter picked him up. And God says, you may not know that father. I know him. I'm a part of your history. Look at how he goes. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, those great spiritual ancestors way back before you, Moses. I have been at work in your family. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Now go, this is verse 10, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Moses was doing great until that last part there, right? God, all powerful, has been a part of your history, has heard the cries of his people. And is going to move to deliver them, to bring them to their own land. Yes! Awesome, God! Now, Moses, you get going because you're the man to do it. Whoa. Watch how fast here I am, Lord, changes. Okay? But Moses protested to God. He's going to do this five times, five different no's. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people Israel out of Egypt? Whoa, God, great plan. I love the plan. You got the wrong guy. Gal. Have you ever said that? Like, God gives you the insight on a great plan. God's going to do a great thing. You're like, yes. And then God's like, and you. Lead that. A lot of times I've had people come up to me, you know what we really need is we really need to start reaching out to the community in this certain way. Oh, that's great. I'll say, if you ever do this to me, you can just get ready for it. That's a great idea. I think we should. Would you like to lead that? And all of a sudden, whoa, I thought it should happen, but somebody else, right? Somebody else needs to do that, not me. That's what Moses says. Who am I? That's his first objection. And when God asks us to do something, we often think of that first. Who am I? Who am I to do this? Moses had led, tried to lead the people into freedom before. Did you know that? He tried when he was living in Pharaoh's house, it was a total failure. So he had become an exile. So he's not exactly the one, the guy with a price on his head to go march back up to Pharaoh and be like, hey, me again. Remember that guy that tried to lead an unsuccessful revolution and the people wouldn't listen to me? It's time now. He, he's like, I'm not the guy. I had a young man in San Angelo when I was a pastor there. Um, We had a a woman who came from a very rough background. She was actually a Satan worshiper. And she was converted there in San Angelo. I mean, she had the studs and everything. And she started bringing her friends. She played bass in our band and started bringing her friends. And one of these friends was a man with um, tattoo sleeves. He had, you know, long tattoos. And he had studs. He had a gauge in his ear and a pierced face. And he had scars from all the fights he'd been in. And he kind of sheepishly came up to me one day and we were talking and he was feeling like God was calling him to join the church to be a part of a community of faith but I could tell he didn't want to do it I said well what's holding you back you know that this is what God's calling you to do so why not do it and his basic answer was what Moses says here he says who am I who am I look at all these awful things that have happened in my past and the person I've been, I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I need to go out and get some good credits under my belt and then I'll come back, I'll get cleaned up and then I'll come back and I'll be worthy to join the church. And I tried and tried to convince him that's not what God wants. If he's calling you right now, then he wants you right now, just as you are. A friend of mine says, God doesn't call the equipped, the people who are ready. He equips the called. All of us, when we're called, are never equipped. God does that for us. Another friend of mine is a Harvard graduate. Harvard. He's a very smart guy. And he likes to say that... He translates that, equipping the called. He says, the indicative precedes the imperative. grammar. Anybody in here love grammar? Like, if you see, like, those apostrophes in the wrong place, you, like, X them out or, be you know, like, you edit. Yes? Polly? Okay, so indicative... You, yeah, because it's all edited. I actually, the wife of this guy, when she adopted a cat, she like corrected the form, like the grammar on the form. This They're both Harvard graduates. So do you know what the indicative is? Okay, so tell us what the indicative is, what mood that is. I can tell if you're, okay. A math major, yeah. Actually, um, Mrs. Holt, the kindergarten teacher, was here at the service before, and she described it this way. She said, indicative is like the way things are. So, like, the baby has a dirty diaper. That is the fact of the situation. That is the way things are. The indicative tells you how things are. The imperative, then, would be change the baby's diaper. Because the baby's diaper is dirty, indicative. Imperative is change the baby's diaper. And the reason my friend Steve talked this grammar nonsense to us is because he noticed that every time God calls somebody, he always uses the indicative, how things are, before he commands somebody to go. So you'll always see God, like he told Moses, this is who I am. I've heard the people calling. I am going to deliver them. Indicative, right? This is what's going on. And then the imperative, you go. And so God's response to Moses when he says, who am I? is He says, you've got that all wrong. It's not who you are, Moses. It's who God is. It's who I am. So look at what he says. I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So he says, remember indicative before imperative? I'm the one doing this. You're just going to come along with me and accomplish it. You're the chosen instrument for this. It's not about you, it's about me. I will put the tools in your hands that you need to do this. And so then Moses says, okay, so he started out with, who am I to do this? And then he's like, well, but God, if you're the one who's going to lead me, then who are you? Have you ever had God call you and you doubt, like, can you really get this done, God? Like, you're calling me to this, but can I really trust you that you're not going to, like, put me out there and then just pull the tablecloth out from under me, right? I'm not going to just be left there, embarrassed. And what God says is, Moses says, who who are you? You know, what if they ask me for a name and they don't believe me? And God says, tell them, I am who I am. I am who I am. And that verb tense in the Hebrew could also be, I will be who I will be. I am, I will be, I am is going with you. So God says, you can trust me. I'm not going to leave you. Not now, not in the future. Well, Moses isn't done. Go down to chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. So he said, who am I? Who are you? And now he says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Y'all, this is so often where we get trapped. Is Maybe we can get past the who am I and the who are you. We trust God. We know that he's calling us. And then we start looking around and we think, well, what will other people think? What will other people think of me if I do this? I mean, don't you think Noah probably thought about that? Like, build a gigantic boat in your backyard, Noah. You know? The neighbors we know were making fun of him. I mean, it was a rough thing to build this enormous boat miles from the ocean or a lake or anything. And God asked him to do it. What about them? What will they say? And the way that God answers Moses is pretty cool. He says, Moses... What do you have there in your hand? And Moses had his shepherd's staff in his hand. And he said, throw it on the ground. And it became a snake. Now he's like, pick it up. I'm so glad I wasn't Moses. No, I'm out of here. Moses picks up the snake and it becomes a staff again. He says, you've already got what you need in one hand. And then he says, what about the other hand? He says, Moses, stick it in your robe and pull it out. And when he does, it's diseased. And he says, now put it in again. Take it back out. And it's well. So God basically says, you have everything in your hands right here already. I have already equipped you for this. To what you have, God will add his power. That shepherd's staff, that hand, those were nothing until God called Moses and said, you're going to do this and I'm going to put my power with what you already have And those will be the signs that convince people that you are called to this, what you already have. And a lot of times when we're called to something, we look around and we see people who would be a lot better at it than us. They've just been a Christian a lot longer, or they're a lot better with their words, or they're a prayer warrior and we're not. And we think, gosh, you could do a lot better with that person. When you do that, remember Moses' hands. That God didn't say, hey Moses, go and change out of those clothes. You look like a shepherd. And let's get you something really nice and spiffy so that you can go before Pharaoh. He said, what do you already have? It's who you already are that God's going to use. But Moses isn't done with the objections. Oh no. You'd think that by then you'd be like, okay, Lord. But in verse 10, Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. And a lot of scholars believe that Moses stuttered. And so he's trying, he's said, Who am I? Who are you? What about them? And he's back to, Who am I? Hey, God, maybe you didn't know. I stutter. Do you think that was a surprise to God? Do you think anything that you say, Hey, God, maybe you didn't know this, but I'm not so good with whatever, you think he's like, Oh, you're right. I've made a mistake. I should have called Jill instead of you. You obviously don't have what it takes. So, he, so God is getting a little testy with Moses by this point. He's like, don't you get it yet? Verse 11, then the Lord asked Moses, who made your mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. So four objections. Moses is not done. This is the one that I think it all boils down to. Moses again pleaded in verse 13, Lord, please send anyone else. Send anyone else. Then God became angry with Moses. And he struck him dead. Right? Fire from heaven. Refuse me again. No, he was a little upset. This is no number five. And this is, I don't care who you are and that you can do this. Anybody else but me, I don't want to do it. This is where we see God getting angry. But you know what he says? Okay, Moses, I'll give you a buddy. Your brother Aaron can speak. He doesn't stutter. He'll go with you. You talk to him and you'll stand together and do this. And I think a lot of times when we're afraid... Even if we refuse God all those many times, if we really need someone to walk with us, God will give someone to walk with us and do it. And it brings me back around to, so what can we take from this? Well, first of all, that fire from heaven will not fall upon you if you say no to God. If you have doubts. If you have questions. If you have questions about your own heart or your own capabilities. If you have questions about whether or not God will walk with you through it. Through the call he's given you, that's okay. He will answer those, just like he did for Moses. But eventually, there comes to we come to the point where we either say, "Lord, send anyone else," or we say, "Okay, you call my name. Give me a buddy, and I'll go do it." And one of the things that I've been thinking about is, as we were a young church, a lot of y'all have told me that you came here and you might have gotten involved because the coffee pot was overflowing on your first Sunday and you ran to help fix it or because that party that the wedding the wedding party had trashed the bathroom and you were there cleaning it up the night the next morning right or that you were there setting up chairs that you lent your hands to this work we're in danger if now what we do is come and sit we're in danger Because the people of God have always been a people who listen for God's voice when he calls and lend our hands to the work, even if it scares us. Even if we think, oh my goodness, yes, absolutely, we need a second children's service. Yes, absolutely, teaching children is important. Can you send someone else? You know, I think that person down the aisle sitting for me would be awesome at that. I hope they sign up. We cannot fall into, I hope someone else will do it anyone else. We have to lend ourselves to this work. That is what being people of faith is about. It's about offering our hands in God's service. I want you all to watch this video and see perhaps a certain call that you could respond to. Hi, I just wanted to let you know about how I got involved with Children's Church. I've always thought my gift was a greeter, and had been doing that and then it's one of David's sermons, he challenged us to get out of our comfort zone, and I got thinking about other things I could uh, do in the church, and I remembered how important my Sunday school teachers were for me in growing up in the Methodist church. And so I decided I would step out of my comfort zone and become a children's church teacher, and I am so blessed to have made that decision. The, I'm in the three to five-year-olds, and they are just a delight, and I get more from them than they do from me. And uh, if you're lucky too, you may even get invited for a play
1: date. Why do you want to come to Children's Church? Because I want to pray. Who, Who prays with you at Children's Church? Caroline. Caroline. hmm Does she ever do anything else at Children's Church, or does she just pray? She plays. She plays with you? The teachers mean a lot to me, and they help me get closer to God and help me get, have a good worship. Good. That's pretty cool. What about whenever you come to the classroom over here, what kind of things do you do? Color. A lot of things. Was there a time in Children's Church when you felt really special? Yes. Tell me about it. Well, um we made this um really cool craft and it's where you like put these little flowers on a piece of paper. And um each day of the w- on each day of the week you pray and then you put the flower on the um uh, paper and then um if you do if you pray each day of the week and have um the f- a flower on each day of the week, um then you, like, um, get a little prize in Children's Church. Oh, that's super cool. Who taught you how to do that? Um, uh, Miss Polly. Miss Polly must be pretty yeah. special, huh? Mm-hmm. Do you like her? Yes. Does she give you a hug? Yes. Why do you like to come to Children's Church? Because cause it's fun. What makes it fun? Because uh, sugar is here. Sugar? Yeah. Remember all those cookies in the front? <laughs> It was really fun when Ms. Grokey um, had us make pillows. Do they teach you anything? Yes, they do. They teach me about Jesus stories and the Bible. I read one today. You did? We read stories a in, 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 uh, sing songs a lot. What are they, please, just one hour a month, we need help from our congregation to help our children and Children's Church. So
0: please... If you want to help me inspire our children, maybe the next Madame Curie or Einstein, maybe the next Pastor Laura or Pastor David. Please, just one hour of your time.
1: Hi. Why do you like to come to Children's Church? Because I can play with my friends. What else do you like to do at Children's Church? Um, sing. What about any teachers? Do any teachers sing with you? Who sings with you? Um, no teachers in there. Are they nice? Are you sure? They look kind of grumpy. No. Are you sure? I think all the teachers have done something special to this to help um, all the childrens in children's church. Is it hard to be a children's church teacher? No, it is a gift. It is it is a wonderful opportunity to share God's love, and you will leave feeling blessed. But te- teaching is hard to do, is it?
0: It's. <laughs> we bring this before you today. Um. Actually, I planned my sermons way in advance, and so we didn't know that this would be, we'd be talking about no, saying no, and learning to say yes on a day when we would also be talking about volunteers and how we need them for our children's church. But I guess God did, and so that's why I'm not afraid to say, I think God is calling some of you out there today. I don't know who that is, but God does. And maybe he's calling you, in fact, I know he's calling some of you to step up and say yes for one hour a month for children's church. And I know he's calling some others of you to reach out to a friend with his love. And I know he's calling others of you to start that thing that he's been laying on your hearts. And he's calling all of us to lend our hands to this work. So, when you hear that voice, my prayer for you today is that you wouldn't cross your arms and say no. Or look away and try to find someone else. But you would say, here I am. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would use our hands. That you would use us. You know our limitations, you know our strengths, you know how we love you, and you know also how frightened we are to take a new step, to step out of our comfort zones. You know that so often we do what Moses did, which is give you a line of excuses. But Thank you for your patience with us. Help us to get, Lord, to saying yes. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.